Welcome. I'm Melissa Durda, and this is Synergo's Cultivate the Soul podcast. Stories of purpose-driven philanthropy from around the world. Over this series, we explore together the intersection of contemplative practices, spirituality, philanthropy, and social impact. Join us as we dive into the personal journey of each guest and what they have discovered about the role of inner work on one's capacity to change the world. To learn more about each of our guests and view the full episode list, please visit synergos.org slash podcast. Hi, I'm Anitya Kemka, and I'm a director at the Nandanjit Kemka Foundation. I cultivate my soul by connecting my inner awareness with my outward purpose, working in the field of public health and sustainable development. Today we are joined by Dr. Nitya Mohan Kempka, director of the Nandanjit Kempka Foundation, a family foundation that focuses on strategic philanthropy. She is director of Global Alliances at PATH, a global health think tank focusing on health equity. She is also a visiting fellow at Judge Business School at the University of Cambridge, where she researches topics spanning gender inequality, poverty, and human development, and lectures on sustainable development and gender. Nitya's full bio is available on our podcast website. Well, Nitya, I'm so happy to have you on this podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Melissa. It's a delight to talk to you, and I'm really glad we're sitting down and chatting. Me too. Well, I'd love to get us started by asking you to share a memory or a story from your life that was instrumental in shaping your views on what matters. Melissa, it's a really great question. You know, from an early age, I've been very inspired to work in the field of development because my father has been a development practitioner and he dedicated his life to helping rural communities have access to drinking water and sanitation. My father's work, as well as the environment I was socialized in, you know, really inspired me to do a PhD in development studies, where I looked at governance and women's access and utilization to basic health care in rural India. And I think this really set the ball rolling for me. And through this journey I've had working in this sector, I've had several moments that gave me pause and also inspired me. And one such moment was during my fieldwork in the summer of 2005, when I met a remarkable young girl, her name was Asha, and she was filled with dreams for her future. Talking to her, she wanted to be a doctor. And I encountered Asha several times in the six months I spent in her village. But soon after I left, as Asha turned 13, her family stopped her from going to school. And instead, she was made to accompany her mother to nearby houses for domestic work while her father looked around for a suitable groom. I heard later she was married off soon after. And I think, you know, I'm telling the story because this incident really shocked me and I can't help of thinking of her even today. What if she was allowed to complete her education? Where would she be now? Perhaps a doctor or a nurse, like she told me she wanted to become? Sadly, I think, you know, Asha is among the 43% of adolescent girls in India who are married off before the age of 18. And this obviously leads to high rates of maternal mortality and morbidity. And my time in the villages all those years ago and meeting people like Asha has really been instrumental, I think, in shaping me and really inspired my work currently in public health, working to improve the health and nutrition of children, of youth, of women, including socially excluded and disadvantaged groups. Wow, that's a powerful story of Asha. And 
how that's influenced the path that you took in the work that you do in your studies. You work in a number of fields. And what would you say you're most passionate about? And what change do you hope to see in this work that you're doing? Again, great questions, Melissa. I think, you know, the personal journey that I alluded to, my family background, my work in development, my exposure to, you know, life in service, all of this has made me passionate about public health, particularly the health of girls. And, you know, if you take, for example, the issue of anemia or low hemoglobin levels, anemia is the main direct cause of maternal mortality. NFSEF study found that nearly 60% of adolescent teen girls in India are anemic. And girls in the age group of 15 to 19 who marry early are most at risk of being caught up in this whole negative cycle of premature childbearing, high rates of maternal mortality, and subsequently child undernutrition. Yet, I think simple things like improving teens' access to an area of information, nutrition, skills, and services, I think, could save so many lives. So this is a solvable problem if we bring all our attention to it. And on my journey as a public health and development advocate, I've seen firsthand how investments in the social sector, in education and in health can save lives, can transform communities and really can create hope for the future. I think I became very determined to invest my networks, my connections, my resources, and most importantly, my time to help scale up solutions for health. And this vision, I think, of seeing basic healthcare access as a fundamental human right is so passionately connected to my work, which I really see as my life's mission. You know, in connecting these passions to your work, meeting these adolescent girls, how do you nurture yourself to stay on course and have the strength to deal with these really complex problems that you're working on? So Melissa, again, I've been extremely fortunate to be exposed to a variety of spiritual practices, which have been extremely foundational for me. Family for generations have been very closely associated with a South Indian saint, a great saint called Ramana Maharishi, the direct path of self-inquiry, the path to innermost self and the unchanging reality of you know underlying all that exists, really. And in my adulthood, I had the great fortune of studying with Dr. Dan Brown, to explore the foundations of meditation in the Indo-Tibetan tradition. And this experience really had a profound impact on me, and it helped me explore, you know, true openness of being and establishing for me a daily practice that helps me grapple with the ups and downs of the mind. And the Indo-Tibetan traditions are very interesting because they emphasize really this boundless ocean of awareness or love, whatever we call it, as the core of our fundamental nature. But we rarely recognize this because, you know, often it becomes clouded over by layers and layers of seemingly solid structures of mind, like thought or emotion. It's like, you know, I guess on a cloudy day when we don't see the sun, when the clouds begin to clear, we say, oh, look, the sun came out. But in reality, the sun is always shining. We just couldn't see it because it was clouded over. Similarly, I think that our true state of being is always present and this, as Dr. Brown taught me, is the quintessence of our human potential. So for me, this is really important. And I nurture myself by meditating, by taking long walks in nature, quality time with my family, which is the greatest of all of my many blessings I've been given. And uh, on some days, journaling and doing something creative with my hands. And that always helps to center myself and connect more deeply with the world around me. 
Thank you for sharing those examples of your personal practices. They really resonate with me. I also do many of those. And we had the good fortune of connecting with Dr. Brown on one of our spirituality and science seminars. He was connected by your husband, Uday. Both of you are longstanding members of the Global Philanthropist Circle. So I love to hear that connection. And it's reminded me of the amazing teachings he was able to give us at that time. So let's shift a little bit to the work that you're doing in your philanthropy. Maybe tell me a little bit more about that, about which projects you are most excited about and why. So Melissa, as you know, we as a family foundation, we've been working on uh, healthcare for a long time. Uh, We helped set up something called the Public Health Foundation of India to redress the limited institutional capacity in India for strengthening training, research, and policy development in the field of public health. And really to look at systems change, which, you know, Sunil Goss does so well. At the same time, we started to work in the field in rural communities with public health, with the NABA Foundation, working on AIDS and water and sanitation and so forth. We also worked on a very interesting project that I was very engaged with, empowering the last mile health workers in rural communities in Bihar with technology. So it was literally a little health tablet that the women workers, the health workers would strap onto their back. It was powered by a solar battery and they would go into the field and they would collect data and monitor vaccinations and, you know, monitor maternal health. And the data would, in some remarkable way, triage and be downloaded onto the cloud. And if there was an emergency, that information would go to the district hospital. So it was such a great incubation. And I think as philanthropists, you know, you're able to take those risks, you're able to demonstrate success and you have that freedom to do it, which so I really enjoyed it. But, you know, I really wanted to have a greater systems impact. And I thought, how can I do that? And I decided the best way to do that was to work with one of the world's greatest, in my opinion, not-for-profits in public health called PATH. PATH is a global NGO with more than 40 years of experience addressing the world's health inequities and particularly strengthening primary health care systems. We focus on six main areas, vaccines, drugs, diagnostics, devices, and systems and service innovations, and really help in implementing solutions that improve access to quality healthcare. PATH works now in more than 70 countries to bring this holistic approach to building local capacity and support local solutions. Our family foundation, the Nandanjit Kemka Foundation, which has a strong climate focus, as you know, is also beginning to work on new areas like climate and health, because we really believe that climate is an area that will intersect all areas of development, healthcare being a primary example. So it's even more urgent that systems change happens and institutions are linked up along the lines that can make a systemic difference. Just wanted to allude a little bit about the work I do as an academic Currently, I'm working um, at the Center for Strategic Philanthropy. We're working on a book about uh, new possibilities for a more robust, impactful, and deeper philanthropic sector in emerging markets. The key things that the book talks about is the value of multi-stakeholder partnerships that bring together governments, philanthropists, civil society organizations to achieve the systems change. So these are some of the things I'm super excited about currently. Oh, wonderful. Certainly the last piece of it with the multi-sectoral partnerships is something that Synergos cares deeply about and has been working actively on. So we'll look forward to the book so we can also share that with our networks and learn from what you've learned 
and you're putting together to share with others. So looking forward as we shift to the areas that you're working on and how we can make change in the world, what do you think are the greatest challenges facing global impact investing right now? And what can be done to address this? So, Melissa, again, a great question. And, you know, impact investing, of course, is a great tool, a powerful tool for making a real difference in the world. You know, the whole idea about supporting sustainable projects to make a positive change, to move the needle on important things like education, like healthcare, poverty alleviation, climate change, etc. So it's a very valuable tool. But instead of the challenges, I think I want to talk about some of the opportunities example of healthcare. This comes from talking to the director responsible for epidemic preparedness and response at PA, Dr. Linda Wenzel. Talking to her, she says the cost of the climate crisis is so huge that it has the potential to erase decades of progress on public health. And here's a real opportunity, I think, for impact investors. Investing in climate-resilient primary healthcare now can save us billions of dollars both in terms of lives as well as resources. But financing the response requires three components. The first is the idea of investing in health. So majority of the investment funds currently are in climate change and financial inclusion sectors. I think there's a real gap in providing quality health care. So obviously there's a great opportunity here. The second opportunity I think is around actually the building blocks. So investing in free healthcare, investing in epidemic preparedness and response. We've seen what COVID-19 and the pandemic has done to the planet. And I think that by building more resilient health systems, we can ultimately improve quality of life and life expectancy. And third, I think, is bringing resources into adaptation. Because as climate continues to impact health, systems must adapt and repair. And for example, you know, the emergency operations centers, they've been shown to effectively address climate-related health emergencies. But more practically, shifting a little bit practically to what I mean by this, I think there are some crucial steps that we can take to alleviate this issue in addressing this gap. And I think for one, increasing collaborations between NGOs and impact investors is key to achieve the sustainable development goals. Because NGOs can be strategic and effective partners in developing impact investment strategies because they have the technical knowledge. And on the other hand, access to private investor capital would allow NGOs to increase their impact that they can deliver to beneficiaries. I think the second component is really increasing investments in the healthcare sector overall. And this means that by investing in healthcare, investors not only help to improve access to quality healthcare in low and middle income countries, but also, you know, you have to look at the business angle. Also, they have access to potential markets with a continuum of returns, which is an impact investor. You have to make business sense as well. And the third component, I'd say, is, you know, innovative finance. That's very key. And there's a need for more blended finance, things like impact bonds and other vehicles for scaling and de-risking the sector in order to attract more investors. And a great example recently is the COVAX facility, which is an example of success story in innovative finance and facilitated access to vaccines for low and middle income countries. So I think there are several examples that one can look towards in terms of being creative around impact investing and also, you know, looking at new financing mechanisms. Those are really great examples of how impact investing can make a difference. And what I like is how you 
are looking at how these sectors are interlinked between climate and health, how impact investing can make a difference at Synergos. Also advocate that the members of our Global Philanthropist Circle, for example, use all of the resources that are available to them. And so that can mean philanthropy in some cases. It can also mean investments and impact investments. So it's important that we understand all that's available to us, all the tools that are available to us. And I also liked what you were saying about this potential partnership that exists between impact investors and NGOs. Hopefully the sector is getting more experience on how these two groups can work together because these issues like climate change are urgent and the health issues that we face are pretty large scale. So thank you for giving us very specific examples on how one can engage in that way. And I hope the impact investors who are listening have taken note. So Nitya, for my final question, I'd like to ask you, how do you imagine the future and how can philanthropy help us get there? Wow, that's a big question. You know, I'm going to give you a slightly doom and gloom answer, but I think sadly as a planet, we don't have much time and there are major challenges. And how I see the future for me personally is a future in which we manage to avert the pain for billions of people. You know, how do we avert the pain for future generations? We've seen it, you know, already in our lifetimes, the impact of climate change on communities and the most vulnerable and the most disadvantaged. And I think that means engaging with challenges of development and demography on the one side and the challenges of environment and climate change on the other. And I think the only way we can do that is through systemic interventions, through systems change. And my work is about really weaving together those who normally don't talk to each other in the world of policy, in the world of government, philanthropy, business, NGOs, in the various areas I work in, in healthcare and climate change and development and gender equity. And, you know, trying to bring people together because I believe that what's important to do now is to put together the building blocks of that right now, which in a couple of years from now, I want to start weaving together into systematic programs of change that can perhaps make a worldwide impact. And I think philanthropists can really be the crucial glue to bring people together who usually don't talk to each other and to accelerate that change. So that's my vision for the future. Well, we look forward to learning more as it develops and are also welcome opportunities to engage and to leverage who we know and our networks in order to make what you're doing successful. So Nitya, how would people connect to learn more about what you've shared today? Melissa, the Kemka Foundation has a well-established website. So people can always go on the Kemka Foundation website and contact us through it. Of course, my book with the Strategic Center for Philanthropy at Cambridge is coming out soon and it's called philanthropy in a post-COVID world. And I'm looking forward to sharing copies of that soon. It's an edited volume with my co-editors, but I think it's a very interesting research, collaborative work, which I think people will find something positive in. So Nitya, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your experience and your stories and the work that you're doing. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. I've really enjoyed talking to you. You've really given me food for thought. I've really enjoyed this. So thank you very much for the opportunity. Excellent. Well, we're looking forward to learning more about the work of the Kempka Foundation as well as reading your book. What I liked about this conversation with Nitya is learning about her passion for public health. 
how she works with communities in academia and philanthropy, and how she works to bring different sectors together to create systems change. <laughs>